Welcome back to Allocation Disorder Episode 2. I am Sam Stasekel in New York City, and joining me as always is Paul Tenorio out there in snowy Chicago. Paul, how's it going today? It's going well. I'm glad that we're back. I mean, we shortened our back-to-back episode time from, you know, about 12 months, 365 days to seven days. Yeah, we cut off 51. We cut off 51 weeks. That's pretty good. Um, hopefully we can keep up that pace. Our efficiency is in, is increasing. We don't want to burn out. That'll be important to, you know, kind of maintain our fitness throughout the year. We'll, we'll see how we handle it. But anyway, I mentioned you're in snowy Chicago. I'm sitting here in New York where it's gray and cold. We're kind of trapped in the winter or the last dregs of it anyway, as we are trapped in that last bit of the cold weather season here in the States, MLS eyes are firmly on Mexico. Obviously, CONCACAF Champions League is coming up next week. Next Tuesday, it begins. LAFC is going to be taking on a Mexican team in Leon. Um, and then four other MLS teams, Atlanta, Montreal, NYCFC, and Seattle will be taking on Central American opponents. As that's happening... Paul, we have the product strategy committee, which for those who don't know, is probably the most important committee in terms of MLS and how rules are designed and how the roster rules come about, all that stuff, committee of owners, and in certain cases, presidents, they're meeting down in Cabo San Lucas in Baja, California, in Mexico, um, where they are talking about some pretty important matters, including this potential third designated player rule, changes to that rule that I reported on last month and that were made a little bit more public um, as part of the CBA disclosure uh, last week. Um, So just to give a quick rundown um, of what that rule is, basically it would put a limit on the third DP spot if that player is over 23 years old. Um, If the player is over 23, there's a spending limit of $1.6 million per year. Um, If it's under 23, then there's no spending limit. It's current DP rules all stay the same. Uh, so they're discussing that. And, and Paul, I know you have kind of a good picture on where things stand with that. So why don't you, uh, why don't you inform the audience? Well, I think even before we start to delve into the details of this third DP rule, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant and it's going to happen from time to time on this podcast. It gives us a good chance to, to rant, uh, more efficiently. Paul, you don't really, you're columns. not really a ranter. I, you're I not really a rant. I, That's kind of more my thing. I pick and choose my times to rant. I ranted about the you know the galaxy signing Pavone or maybe it was buying out Giovanni Dos Santos. I went on a Twitter rant. It's not usually my style. Yeah, you you definitely ranted about that. But I'm gonna rant again. So hopefully this goes better than that Gio Dos Santos rant did. Here's my thing. <laughs> the league would have you believe that they care about competing with Mexico, with Liga MX. They read the BCG study that said fans value how competitive MLS is with other leagues and other teams to be able to gauge the level of MLS. And they, that's the Boston consulting group for those who are correct. And and we published that study, Pablo Mar and I have a story regarding that study. And, you know, so this whole marketing push around the champions league around competing with Liga MX, the, the campeones cup and the leagues cup and all this stuff, it's all marketing. If you remove the marketing side of it for major league soccer, There is nothing else, nothing else that they are doing to truly try to compete with League MX in a real way, to to close the gap with their rivals in a real way. And this third designated player rule, the changes around this rule, are the most obvious example of that. It is doing the opposite of closing the gap with League MX. It is creating a bigger gap 
by limiting player spending for these teams. And, and they can point to the young player rule, and we'll get back to that in a little bit. But the reality is that they are, the MLS is still chasing Mexico. And as MLS tries to grow, Mexico is growing too. And to make this change to the third DP rule would absolutely be a step backward for the league and for the competition. And so I just wanted to to rant about the idea of Mexico competing with Liga MX as a real thing, because in reality, it's not true. And you can just look at soccer operations and look at the way that they're talking about building rosters. And until those rules fundamentally change to allow teams to spend more and with fewer restrictions, then the rest of it is just it's just all marketing ploy in a way to try to capitalize on on eyeballs and, and fans that care about League MX. Okay. I'm done Basically with my what you're saying is 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 MLS is talking the talk about trying to catch and compete with League MX, but they're not walking the walk if they adopt this third DP rule, which they haven't yet, but by all indications it sure looks like they're going to. Um, the exact details of it aren't fully known yet. Um, there is a possibility that the cap for that third DP is is higher than 1.6 million a year, or I guess we should we should be saying the cap the the max budget charge, which is 612 500, um, 612,500 in 2020, and raising up to 800,000 roughly by 2024. So that number plus one million, um, it could be higher than that from what we've both been told they're still trying to work that exact specific number out it remains to be seen regardless of where it lands the rule is probably going to be passed there's probably going to be a cap on the third dp if that third dp is over the age of 23 i can say Um, speaking to a source with knowledge that 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 the the changes to the rule have been ratified by product strategy they're still under discussion so we can say pretty confidently that there will be some kind of change to the third DP rule. The question is just right. how big of a change. Right. And, and how big of a change will depend on what that cap is. Maybe it's 2.4 million or something like that. Maybe it's as high as three. That sounds unrealistic to me. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit higher than 1.6 or 1.7. So, Sam, um, regardless, Sam, let, let's let's break yeah. this down in reality. Sam, here's, here's yeah, the yeah. question for you. How do you justify this in your mind? If you If you're the LA Galaxy... And you just signed Chicharito Hernandez as your third designated player. And you had two other over 23 DPs, which they currently do. Right. How, Chicharito how do wouldn't have been able wrap to be your mind signed around under that? this if, rule. If, what, yeah. what if in a couple years down the road, Miami has two 25-year-old DPs? They have, or, or they have yeah, Pizarro how are they going to sign another, Neymar in 2030 sign with this Messi? rule, you know? You know, <laughs> are, is the league ready to, to face that type of dilemma where they've created a rule that limits the league from signing some of these big-name players or even put aside the big-name players to have a team like Toronto that truly was competitive against League MX, right? What, what, how do you reconcile that, Sam? Uh, I don't, but let me put on my little devil's advocate hat. Let me, let me pretend that I'm um, the Hunt family or Greg Kerfoot, the owner of the Vancouver Whitecaps, um, both of whom have seats on the product strategy committee chairs, I believe, unless I'm misremembering. Um, and they are, you know, playing a big role in driving this rule and driving this process. Uh, as a friend told me last week, look at the numbers, Paul, look at the, look at the money. The money doesn't justify continuing to spend like crazy for most of these teams. It just doesn't. 
right? They're not bringing in enough revenue. They're not profiting um, at least significantly enough, even with some and the payouts there, even with revenue sharing, even with all of the expansion fees, there's not enough money to continue justifying uh, spending increases at the level that have been happening over the last few years. So why not rein it in a little bit to ensure that, you know, the top four or five teams in the league can't run away with everything um, from that perspective, right? Like, I don't agree with that perspective. But if I'm an owner of an FC Dallas or the Vancouver Whitecaps or the Houston Dynamo, et cetera, et cetera, that's the argument that I'm making. I'm saying the bottom line does not justify these increases for most of the league. And if you want to maintain some level of parity, which I think most people in MLS do, then you have to rein this in. That's the argument that they're making. I think it's a bad one. But if I'm playing devil's advocate, that's... Well, that's let, what they're saying. Well, I let's think. pause for a second, right? Let's let's look at recent history in Major League Soccer. Okay, we you can point to your balance sheet and you can say here are the losses, here are the gains, here's the lack of revenue. Andrew Hauptman could do that when he owned the Chicago Fire. Okay, he bought the team for I believe it was thirty two million. I think let's, it was thirty five. Let's call it let's call it thirty five. Okay, let's say over a ten year period of owning the team. That he lost five million a year. Okay, Shoot, call it ten. Let's call, call it 10. ten. Let's call it ten million a year, which is would be an extreme amount of losses. Let's say he lost ten million a year over ten years, a hundred million dollars plus the thirty-five he spent, a hundred and thirty-five million dollars over ten years. He just sold the team in two sales to Joe Mansueto for three hundred twenty-five million dollars. Okay. So I think you can add twenty million expenses. He owned he owned the team for twelve years, but point taken. He made a lot of he made a lot of money on dollars a year of losses. Right? He made he made a lot of money on owning the Chicago Fire. Anyway, you slice it. So these owners who are not spending and are sitting back and watching other teams spend are also seeing the value of their franchises go up significantly, significantly, and and. The Hunt family, as an example, is going to spend more in one year of Patrick Mahomes' next contract than they will in two years on their the entirety of their roster. Probably three. I think that's going to be a $40 million a year deal right. for Mahomes. So if you're, so in, if you're yeah, in the business yeah. of owning a sports team and your sole focus is not losing money, you're, you're probably in the wrong business. I mean, if you're going to be invested in a league like Major League Soccer that's in the early stages. Losses are a part of the gig here. And eventually, Major yeah. League Soccer is going to have to change the equation because they've done a nice job. And I think we can all acknowledge that over the last 25 years to grow at a steady pace and to do so in a way that allows the league to exist, right? To keep continue existing. But there's nothing that they've done over this 25 years that's that's made the league resonate in the American sports market. And we keep pointing to the next TV deal, just as Major League Soccer does, and saying, well, if the revenue goes up there, we can see the spending go up. And and everyone's looking to these these next media deals as important for the league. Well, why should the TV companies pay more, significantly more for MLS when the audiences are, are not tuning in? And why should the audiences tune in if the spending is not even close to putting... MLS on the level with Liga MX, let alone with the rest of the leagues in the world. At some point, the equation has to change. The strategy has to change in order to 
make money, in order to pull in more eyeballs, in order to you're saying have you got you got to spend money to make money. To put it simply, yeah. So yeah. that's that's the question. And when is the league? There are owners in the league that are willing to do that. They're willing to do that. And the league is still making decisions based on the owners who don't want to do that. And that's where there there are issues. You know, there are teams fighting this third DP rule because they're saying it limits us unnecessarily. So nothing is stopping these lower spending teams from only signing young DPs. Nothing. And and in fact, some of these yeah, higher no, spending you're, you're, teams are You're absolutely doing that. right, and, and like they are having big time kind of like knockout dragout fights, from what I've heard, and I'm guessing you've probably heard similar things over this topic specifically, uh, the small clubs versus the big clubs. It's a fight between the richer, the I shouldn't even say the richer, uh, the owners that spend and the owners that don't spend, and it's it's a real tension for the league and you know it seems like it's shifted towards the owners that don't spend at least for the time being which i think is frankly disappointing as for all of the reasons that you've been outlining uh but you know i kind of like these people are very much focused on roi you know and and it's not they don't want to get themselves into situations where they are they are spending money that they don't feel their business model can justify and I think part of that is fair. What I completely disagree with is holding everyone else back. That's fine if that's the choice you want to make for your own club. But to hold everyone else back so you can save face by competing and not be called out by people like you and I and your own fan base for being cheap and therefore fielding a bad team, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of shameful. Um, you know, if you don't want to spend and if your business model doesn't justify it, that's fine. Make your own choice. It's, it's your money, you know, but just understand that that's going to make you uncompetitive and that's the consequence that you have to deal with. And if you don't like it, change your behavior. Don't hold everyone else back in the meantime. And let's talk about, you know, all of these things are linked together. The things that we, that we saw in the CBA, the things that we're talking about in this episode. So the next portion of these rule changes the next step the the thing that major league soccer is going to use to justify the change to the dp rule is this this young money uh movement the young, the young player initiative young the u22 initiative. initiative young money as we call it on this podcast yes um, as a shout out to lil wayne and you got you got so blinded by the shout out to lil wayne that you forgot to talk there for a second i, I get it i understand paul so why does young money matter? Why Why should the league, why is the league using that as just justification? Well, the real reason is because they recognize that the, this league has to spend more money and you can justify or you can rationalize with these owners and say, listen, if you start to sell more players, you're opening up a new stream of revenue that justifies the spending on these young players, right? This league historically has bought a lot of players in the market and sold very few. Now, as you've written, as we've talked about, this league still has not really embraced the idea of selling players. And when they do, they are typically asking for way too much for players when there is no market that exists for MLS players or or very little evidence of what players can do abroad. And so I'm interested to see some of these owners who are fighting to limit spending, like Dallas, that has a very productive academy, like Vancouver, that 
sold Alfonso Davies for an insane amount of money and then bought one DP. By far the highest for, for any homegrown player. Anything. And, and say, you know what, if you don't want to be spending at the highest levels or if you don't have the money cash in pocket that you want to take out as an owner and put into the team, then you have to embrace being a selling team. And that means instead of giving players like Paxton Pomey call and, and Jesse Gonzalez and these big contracts, Jesus, Ferreira. Jesus yeah. Ferreira, that you look to sell them and you look to sell them with a buy on tacked on at a lower number until MLS can establish a market. And so that's why I just I get frustrated because there is a way for these owners to have a sustainable team that can be successful, and it's to sell these assets that they have and and put that money back into the team and not as Vancouver did a fraction of the money and say, well now we've now we've done it with one DP, but right. to actually really invest it into the team and into the first team and and so you know I just think that MLS is at this point where. It's going to have to choose what it wants to be and how how realistically it wants to chase being competitive, and it's running out of time to do it. You know, it's running out of time. The 2026 World Cup is not that far away. The next TV deal is only a couple years away, and and here we are talking about limitations and a pullback from spending, and and you know, I guess we'll also let's go into the young player rule so we can talk about how. That's going to be presented as this big spend, but realistically, yeah, what does bef- it mean? Before we, before we do that, Paul, let me, let me interrupt you real fast. Let's just put a bow on that third DP. So just, just to recap it, basically, the league is looking at limiting the amount the teams can spend on their third designated player if that third designated player is over the age of 23. Very simply, that's going to probably... I mean, it's going to give less teams less freedom. Um, it might lower the overall quality of the league, right? If that third star player, if you're limiting the ceiling on what he can be, that might lower the quality of the league, right? I think that's fair to say. And, and so for that reason, right, that's one of the reasons we're saying MLS might be talking the talk about trying to catch League MX, but they're not really living that life. And and, and now we can go back in, we can go back into the young young player rule, which you were about to launch into. Yeah, so this young player rule essentially is going to give teams three slots to go out and spend freely on young players, players age 22 or younger. And the rule around this is that you can spend an unlimited amount on a transfer fee, but there is going to be a limitation on the salary to the max budget. Proposed rule. None of this is finalized This is what we're hearing. could potentially go into effect next season. And teams are preparing as if this rule will go into effect. So what I want to do is just provide a little bit of clarity, and and maybe I'll, I'll I'll throw this to you, Sam. But why this is not? We're not talking about the Barcos and the Rossies and the Almiron type of young players. Those players all exceed six hundred thousand in salary. What we're, we're looking at are kind of a, a step below that, and that means a little bit more of a risk for these MLS teams. But there are examples of success that MLS teams can find at that limit. At that level, but it, it does become a little more complicated when you look deeply, a little bit more deeply into the rule. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's you kind of said it right there off the top, where 
you know, you can have an unlimited transfer fee, most likely, for these players, but their salary is going to be capped at the max budget charge, which is around 600000 this year and will eventually rise to 800000 in 2024, at the end of the current CBA, um, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, that's going to limit the kinds of players that you can bring in. They're not going to be the high-level DPs like Diego Rossi or Ezekiel Barco um, or Miguel Almiron, who I believe signed when he was 22. I might have that wrong, but... Regardless, those players are making a million dollars in upwards in salary per season. Uh, the players that you're bringing in for six, seven hundred thousand, they're going to be kind of, you know, I guess they could be DPs in certain cases, but they'll be lower end DPs um, and high level TAM guys. You know, uh, Jefferson Savarino would have fit in this category. He was just sold by RSL to Atletico Mineiro in Brazil. Uh, Edward Atuesta. Um, at LAFC would fit into this category. Um, players like that, who you can hit on, certainly, um, but who are naturally higher risk. If you're paying less money, it's because they're less of a sure thing, right? That's why you're paying less money. Um, so you're going to have a few more misses. Um, and, you know, I get it. It's it's sort of an initiative to go and say, hey, teams, this is a easy way to go in and buy players or encourage you to buy players that can then be sold on. But at the same time, let's let's think about this just in terms of raw numbers, Paul. In a few years, there's going to be 30 teams in MLS. Each of them will have three of these players uh, available to them. That's 90 young players um, that could cost a significant amount of money um, in terms of transfer fees. Most of those 30 teams, the vast majority, uh, at least 20 of them, do not have real scouting networks. They rely on agents. They rely on other people, particularly in areas where you're going in to get these players, places like South America, right? They're going in kind of blind. They don't have a ton of information. You're telling me MLS teams are going to be signing 90 guys in this profile? Like, they're not all 90 going to be successes. The hit rate there is probably not going to be that great. And the best ones aren't even going to fall into this category. They're going to be the Brian Rodriguez's, the Diego Rossi's, et cetera, those players we mentioned off the top. Um, so while this is an interesting initiative, um, and I think there could be some positive effects of it, it's kind of, I mean, I don't know if it's too far, if it's going too far to call it sort of window dressing. Like, what what do you think about that? Like, just the, the prospect of this, I'm not super optimistic about what these players are going to look like. Maybe I'll be very wrong there, but I, I just don't have a lot of hope for it. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned, you mentioned two successful players that would fit in this window. You know, there are far more players who we've seen MLS teams sign that just haven't lived up to that type of billing. I mean, I can think back to my own personal experiences to covering Orlando City in 2015 and Brian Rochez and Carlos Rivas. You know, that was the level right. of money and the level of investment that Orlando City had for the designated players outside of Kaká. And so you're signing 20-year-olds who have been successful in in Colombia and in Honduras and you're saying, "Okay, they could be something really really good." And neither of them found that potential in Major League Soccer. Brian Rochez is doing pretty well now in Portugal, but you know, there, this is the type of player that you're looking at. I mean, Carlos Rivas had a, a season where he was in double digit goals at the Deportivo Cali in Colombia. You're thinking, Oh, we're getting a really good player, very inconsistent in major league soccer. So what it is, is it's a high, higher risk proposition. And yes, it's theoretically, if you're talking about, Oh, we can spend whatever we want on transfer fees. You know, you, it puts you in the conversation for some good players, but it also is going to have to open you up to uh, creative accounting 
to be able to pay the better players and stay under this limit of the max budget yeah. charge. Explain, explain what you mean by that. So sometimes you see teams in the international market, if you don't want to pay a player a salary of a million, and you will, let's say you only have 612500 per year on this player's salary, as MLS teams would, then maybe you tack on an extra million to the transfer fee and the selling team pays off that million to the player. And so the player is making 900000 or about a million a year over three years, but three hundred per year of that came from that million-dollar transfer fee payment, um, things like that. And what it does is it, you know, anytime you start to open up more creative bookkeeping and accounting, I think you're putting yourself in a more dangerous position. And I agree. Yeah, you're it's also, a very dangerous game. You're also relying on agents and selling teams to be even more understanding of MLS rules and to um, to be recommending players that fit well in this structure. And it, it just, to me, it's, it's, it's a, the initiative is going down the right path, right? The idea of let's spend more money. And it's just going to be hard to MLS. execute. You're just, again, these restrictions are very difficult and, and you're, yeah. you're limiting the options based on what I believe is an arbitrary measurement, which is age. And for sure. And, and also, you're doing so under the auspices of wanting to be more of a selling league, and yet there have been very few teams in this league who have shown an indication that they're willing to sell players and willing to sell players at realistic prices. And, and somebody brought up a good point to me today about this issue, which is if you do sign a really good, successful player on this type of contract and they're making 600 a year, they're going to they're gonna almost immediately have options to go to Europe and double their money on salary. And so you, you're going to have to be willing and ready to flip these players very quickly. And are MLS teams going to be willing to do that? I don't know. There hasn't been evidence of that yet. Maybe this will be a positive impetus, a, a push in the right direction for them to do that, right? Maybe this will, maybe this will force that a little bit um, to, to not be overly negative on the league here and things that they're doing, right? Because I think, I think this rule in particular, right? I get the intention behind it. I'm just very much a person that believes teams should have more autonomy. You shouldn't put restrictions on things like designated players. You shouldn't create extra buckets for things like young international players coming in um, and needing to fit within a certain salary parameter. You know, just give the teams X amount to go spend and let them spend it how they choose. I think that creates a good, healthy league, good diversity of models. And, you know, it creates good competition, and, and it exposes the teams that aren't willing to push things forward and are holding the league back in the current structure. Um, and I think that would be overall the best. And I think that's a, that's a big part of the reason, right? Like that's, I think all of the other reasons that we've talked about on this show about how MLS is sort of walking the walk and trying to catch league MX, but not really, um, or excuse me, talking the talk, but not really walking the walk. Um, I think that's kind of the overarching theme here. Right, more autonomy would be good for that purpose, in my opinion. And they just don't have it, and they're not giving it up. And uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that ever changes, but it doesn't seem likely. Um, certainly not within the next five years, anyway. Yeah, and I think you know, just one more little quick nugget here that fits into this narrative. You, know, you talk to anyone around the league in the headquarters or any general manager, and they will tell you that targeted allocation money was a huge success for the league, and it really did increase the quality of play. Here's the thing. It's not rocket science. You gave teams more money to spend on better players. Guess what? The quality of the league went up. And they put this restriction to ensure that the teams would spend it correctly in the eyes of the owners and the eyes of the league. 
And, you know, what I think that does is it really discredits the the teams that they that they would just blindly give raises to people who don't deserve it and not go out and buy better players. And you know what? The GMs that would have done that or maybe did do that, they're going to get replaced and better people are going to be hired. The the thing that made him successful was that you by the way we have we have disagreements on 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 the success and the merit of tam as a structure but i mean it did i think it did raise the level of player in the league but i think it was pretty inefficient overall but that's an entirely different the idea of like the league getting having a better on-field product it, it boils down to the simple fact of when teams have more money they buy more high level players the good teams the smart teams and thus the product gets better and we've seen teams that know how to efficiently right. spend and spend money on their scouting network and on their analytics go out and use that extra money to buy good players. LAFC, Toronto, Atlanta, uh, you know, even now looking at the Galaxy under Dennis DeClosa, doing a really nice job of finding players and utilizing the, that money. You know, that is what dro- drove the success, is that you had more money to play with. And so, like you said, you know, the the idea, the notion of, hey, let's find ways to invest in more players, it's a good idea by the league. It improves the league. Putting caps on it, putting limits on it, trying to tell you where to spend and how to spend and who to spend on, that's where you run into trouble. And I think that, you know, this initiative is even more restrictive than targeted allocation money. And so I think it'll be less effective as a result. Certainly. And, and let's bring it back around here. Um, a couple more things that I wanted to get into. One brief... Um, and that's just kind of the overall amount of spending um, outside of designated players that are allowed teams. Basically, it goes up, unless I have this wrong, $2.5 over the course of the CBA from 2020 to 2024. That's not all that much in the grand scheme of things. Now, MLS could add to that throughout the course of the agreement. I'm sure they probably will. Um, you know, This is something that we saw in the last CBA where they added outside of the agreement and outside of the negotiation. That's a strategy by the players' union. But that's in the grand scheme of things. And, and talking about catching up to Liga MX, that's really not that much money. Liga MX teams, teams can do that every offseason, kind of with a snap of the fingers, right? Two and a half million over five years. That's not a huge, that's not a huge jump. So that kind of falls back into the, the talking, the talk versus walking the walk discussion. And then, you know, the other part that I wanted to get back to, and I think this would be a good way to close out the show, Paul is, is the whole notion of, well, this doesn't make sense for my bottom line versus the, you know, idea that you do need to spend money to make money. And I think that's kind of where MLS finds itself right now. What do you want to be as a league? How fast do you want to get there? How fast do you need to get there? And I think at this point, it's fair to say they're still in the investment and growth phase. And if they really want to open things up, and if they really want to make progress in catching Liga MX, and if they really want to make progress in becoming more relevant and making more money in their own markets and here in the U.S. and Canada then they're going to have to spend a little bit more. I think that's fair to say, and they're probably going to have to take some losses year over year, um, but I think it will increase the overall value of their teams, of their franchises, and of the league, and will lead to long-term gains, and I think they need to start getting on that train a little bit more than they have um, in order to, to make real progress. And I know that's me playing with other people's money, um, but that's how I feel about it. I don't. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, I think interestingly enough, or maybe the most interesting thing, the most interesting narrative to follow over the next couple of years is going to be kind of those mid-market spenders in MLS. In which way do they fall in this debate? Because that is going to determine the direction of the league. So 100%. when you're looking at Portland, at Kansas City, 
you know, even sh- newcomers like Chicago, DC United with their yeah. new ownership group. Yeah. Which way did they go in this debate? That's that's going to change the direction of the league. And I would even put, you know, a team that used to be in the high spenders and now is in the low spenders, the Red Bulls. So right. those are the owners I think that right now are wielding the power and they can they can inform the direction of MLS and so you know how quickly does this league want to grow we're going to find out and I think that you know those owners and those markets are going to have an outsized role as well as some of these new expansion clubs that are coming in as well um, to see whether or not the owners in the big spending markets uh, can get the support to to make the changes necessary to to kind of accelerate the the rate of growth in MLS. Absolutely. I think those are guys, those are going to be the swing votes and I think it's going to be really interesting and I think as things are currently trending, I think the lower spending owners have a little bit more of the power and uh, it's going to be interesting to see if that shifts at all over the next 5 years before the current CBA expires. All right, Paul, you got anything else? Can we close this sucker out? What do you think? You know, I think we're I think we're good. We've hammered this uh, young young money rule in the first couple episodes, so maybe next week we'll We'll dive in on a specific team or do something to pick apart a roster and the way money was spent. I think that sounds like a lot of fun since we've we've uh, we've gone in deep on the the league as a whole the last couple episodes. I think that sounds pretty fun too. If you have any feedback or questions for us, get at us on Twitter. We have a Twitter account for this podcast. It's at Allocation Disorder. That's D S R D R. It's too many characters for the username, but but hit us up there or at our personal accounts. And, and of course, I would be remiss if I uh, if I didn't mention to check out all of our work at the Athletic. Um, you know, subscribers, you guys are the best. If you don't subscribe, what are you even doing? You know, what are you doing? Get on the get on the boat. Get on the bus. Um, anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of Allocation Disorder. We'll be back next week uh, with more MLS and U.S. slash Canadian soccer talk. Uh, Enjoy the week. Thanks for listening.